Our first scripture comes out of the book of Micah. Hear the word of the Lord to us today. Marshal your troops, O city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. Thanks be to God. (laughs) What did you say was the baby's name? His name is Jesus. What did you say was the baby's name? Precious 
Well, we've been looking at uh, topics this Advent as uh, getting Christmas right. And today, we're going to talk about gift giving. I know you want to get that right. Um, and uh, everybody has a lot of different views and opinions, but uh, we'll uh, share some thoughts. Uh, I, just a, a word or two uh, with you and about the hymn, the carol that we sang, We Three Kings of Orient Are. First of all, we don't know how many kings there were. But we think they, they, we say there are three because, well, three gifts. More than likely, there were a whole bunch more of them going on this trip. Carrying the gifts that they were carrying, three of them, it wasn't safe. They probably had attendance, and the numbers start to rise very quickly. Um, it's interesting, in this hymn, it starts out with everybody singing, We Three Kings of Orient Are, and then it shifts. So the original setting and the original uh, presentation of this hymn was that uh, the three kings would be standing there singing, and then it would drop down, and one king would step forward, and born a king of Bethlehem plain uh, bring, brings him gold. And then he finishes that, and then there's also a children's element in this process. And the children's element was the refrain, and they would sing. And then the second king would step forward and uh, talk about frankincense, and then when he'd finished, the children would sing, and then he'd step back, and then the third king, Myrrh, and, and each one would talk about this. And so you have to, when you sing this uh, hymn, you have to really look at it as a staged production, because that's what it really was intended to be. Kings coming forward and back, children's choir singing. Uh, Ron's already got pictures in his mind for next year's uh, cantata. <laughs> Focus just on this. It could go on for hours, Ron. Uh, but uh, just just so you know, uh, uh, most of what we know about the three kings and this this event that only Matthew records uh, comes from the hymn, and the hymn is well iffy at pos- uh, you know at best. Uh, it's not bad theology. It's just got some 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 questions to it. So I want to begin today by asking a question. What makes, in your opinion, a good gift? Now I want you to think about that because I'm actually going to have group participation part of this sermon. And the question is for you to say, what makes a good gift for you? Now before you jump in, does it it have to have a certain dollar amount? Does it have to come from a a certain store or have a certain brand name for it to be good? Does it, does it have to be a practical gift? Or are you on the opposite side and say, no, 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 you can't give a practical The best gift, the good gift, is one that's not practical. What makes a good gift? Is it handmade? Ladies, I know it probably should have jewels in it somewhere, diamonds, things like that. But after traveling thousands of miles, enduring countless hardships, many obstacles, in a caravan of camels, let me share with you, not a nice smelling event. What is it for you? 
What makes a good gift? Come on, raise your hand. Yes. Yourself. Okay. Yes. Love. Say it again. I'm sorry. Loving the other person, all right. Your family, that makes a good gift, okay? Thoughtfulness. Oh, okay, yeah. One that's unexpected makes a good gift. Okay, anybody else? I'll give, this is your chance to talk in church. This is the part that's supposed to keep you awake for the rest of the sermon, so I'm trying to stimulate your mind. All right, all right, we're going to leave that. Uh, oh, yes, sir. Horsepower. Horsepower. Vroom, vroom. Vroom, vroom, baby. I got it. I got it. And any kind of, never mind, I won't go there. Get in real trouble with that. So after this huge thousand-mile trek from Persia, probably around Babylon, all the way to Jerusalem. The three magi are looking for answers as to where this baby is to be born, who is the king of the Jews. They go to Herod's court. They had to know something about the baby being born. See, these were just not, they weren't kings. They actually were the king makers in Persia. The magi were the ones that made the decision as to who would be the next king. But they were scientists and astrologers, and they, uh, on and on and on, they had uh, degrees in every one of those areas so that they were the wisest men that they could find in Persia. Herod hopes that they're just passing through. But he also prepares to receive them. Magi are confused a bit because everybody they ask about the new Jewish king not only looks blankly at them, but then when they realize what they're really asking turns white as a sheet. So the Magi head to Herod's palace for answers. And Herod anxiously invites them in to his palace so he can get some answers too. After a lavish meal, the usual exchange of platitudes and some hospitable entertainment, Herod and the Magi retire to more private accommodations so that they can get down to the business at hand. Where is the one who's been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Their question is a stab into Herod's already paranoid heart. He'd already killed his wife, Marianne, two of his sons, his brother-in-law, his mother-in-law, Marianne's aged grandfather, all to protect his throne. And in fact... In Rome, the joke was it would be better to be one of Herod's pigs than one of his children. Okay? Herod was taking out anybody that could possibly be a threat to him. 
So these magi that are telling him the reason that they're there is to honor the new Jewish king that's being born just sets his heart in convulsions. You know, these last couple of weeks, we've been taking little slices of the Christmas story to look at. And today, I'm going to continue that. I'm going to be... uh, doing the story out of Matthew chapter 2. Matthew's the only one that records this. Hear the word of the Lord. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. Because when Herod is disturbed, people die. When he had called together all the uh, the chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go make a careful search for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they'd heard the king, They went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, I hope you caught why your, your manger scene is wrong. Did anybody catch it? Yeah. A house. Not only a house, but one more. They came and saw the child. Now, it's very interesting. The uh, ancient language here is very clear that when they use this name, child, it means somebody somewhere between one and a half and two years old. So it gives a clue as to how long it's been since the baby was born. The, The kings didn't make it that first night. I know it messes up everything. I know in my house we used to start the, the kings way off and every week we'd move them a little closer and, and, and we did that to, to be theologically correct. It just messed up the whole Christmas thing. Much of what we know about the birth of Christ is... I don't want to say error. I want to say a lot of it is fable. 
uh, kings showing up on the day he was born. No. No. How many, how many animals were uh, there at the, at, at when Jesus was born? And then they usually give you a list of three. Donkeys and cows and chickens. Or, or, or sheep or whatever. See there, you even know it better than I do. Um, I, I like the one that was uh, elephants, bears, tigers and bears. Yeah, that's it. Oh my, that's it. And usually you have to put the oh my into the, uh, the process. But the Bible doesn't say there were any animals there. Huh. Didn't say that. You, you read your Bible and you're going to discover... No mention of animals. Now, they talk about a stable, so you can assume, but you don't know. And so this happens for us. We start to add because of our own mind and our own uh, imagination. See, the truth be told, the Jewish religious scholars didn't need any signs. They're... God had told them himself that a great king one day would be born and rule over them. Herod didn't take time to find out about it. And, and, and the scriptures actually say exactly where he would be born. In fact, when Herod called together his wise men, the religious scholars, and demanded what they knew about this, they didn't have to look it up at all or debate it or pick through collective memory or any of the above. What the Jewish wise men and religious scholars had known for over 700 years, they even quoted him the prophecy. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Micah 5.2. So we know that the wise men didn't find Bethlehem on the night Jesus was born. We know that Mary and Joseph moved from the stable into a house sometime in the next year and a half. I mean, Joseph was a carpenter. I'm sure he built a room at least uh, and, and they could live in. I want you to take some time this week. This really is a thought-provoking passage. Think about what It's teaching us about the wise men who came, the magi who came, to worship. And I would hope in the times that you would think about it, you'd wrestle with your own faith and maybe come and worship the newborn king, Jesus. Well, the travelers in this story come a long distance to seek and investigate and find out if this Christmas child was really who everyone claimed he would be, the Son of God, the Savior of the world? No, there are others of you here today, your leaders, leaders of this church and in our community. And you could probably take a look at this passage and reflect how easily you could be threatened or intimidated by the coming of another leader. Herod had a few power issues of himself. 
But I want to go in a different direction than that. I want us to think through the practice of giving gifts, what the wise men brought. In our culture, part of getting Christmas right involves uh, sorting out who you're going to uh, give a present to. And then how much money you're going to spend on a present for each person, it already starts to give me a headache. And then how much of yourself are you going to invest in this whole process of shopping and wrapping and giving? Many of us, we just flat out call a timeout and get a little plastic card and give it to somebody and say, here, go do with it whatever you want to do. In the middle of our shopping madness, we say, who made this game up? Whose rules are we playing by? And is there any help available to inform my choices about all this gift-giving business? Let me say to you that the text we read today will give you some clues. We get a little help from the wise men or the magi. They give us some principles on the process of gift-giving. When you study this passage, the first point that comes out is the principle of planning ahead. Before the Magi even leave their home country in the east, they think ahead. They think, if this could really turn out to be the king of some kind, if he turns out to be the long-awaited Messiah of the Jews, well, we need to honor that child when we find him. So they reason among themselves to buy some gifts, and they pack them carefully and transport them. They did a little planning because... It was important, and it was a long way to Jerusalem. Secondly, they personalized their gifts. The Bible tells us they put together a gift package thoughtfully. They have uh, someone very specific in mind as they select their gifts. It takes work. The Magi believed it was worth the time and effort. The wise men, or the Magi, were men of high position. The Bible doesn't say much about them, but history tells us that they probably came from the region near the site of ancient Babylon, where the reading of the stars and the signs was a serious business. It's possible that these wise men had studied the Old Testament left by Jewish exiles centuries earlier. They might have read the prophecy, a star will rise from Jacob, Numbers 24, 17. Armed with their knowledge of the scriptures, they're looking for some indication that the prophecy was true. You know, a lot of us want a sign from God. God, if you're really there, show me this. Problem is that people really aren't looking for God. They want God to look for them. Not so the wise men. They earnestly looked for God. And God sent them a star. Do you know that God would love to send you a sign? All you have to do is look for him. So the wise men didn't come empty-handed. They brought gifts that honored Jesus. Gold was a gift fit for a king. Frankincense was a fragrance, fragrance signifying deity. And the myrrh was a spice used to anoint a body for burial. 
Now, they probably didn't know the true significance of all of these gifts, that Jesus was going to be the king of kings, that he was the son of God, and that he would give his life to pay our sin debt. Thirdly, they wrestled with the appropriate price they should be paying for their gift. Let's just say these gifts were pricey. But they could have gotten a lot of other gifts much more inexpensively. But the principle here is that they could afford them, and it was not an excessive burden for them. Finally, the Magi got their presentation right. The Bible says specifically that before they presented their gifts, they first went down on bended knee. They humbled themselves. They just didn't send gifts by Camel Express, leave them at a doorstep. They intensified their gifts by how they presented them. They gave something of themselves in the giving. Let me give you some sound advice on, in how to uh, get gift giving right this Christmas. First of all, we don't have to get a second mortgage on our home in order to wow a family and friends with stuff probably they don't even need. Under the kind of media pressure we get, it's easy to lose our way and spend more money than we can afford. That's not right. We dig a financial hole for ourselves that we don't get out of till close to Christmas of next year. We, by our overboard giving, escalate the sense of expectations in our families. Our kids and grandkids should not develop a sense of entitlement. That's not healthy for anybody. I read this week that the national credit card debt per family is $15,799, give a few, and it's just going up. So I want you not to overuse your credit cards this Christmas. I'm serious about that. We often spend to buy fulfillment and contentment and acceptance or buy love from our family or friends. We think that if we just had the newest iPhone or the latest game system, that we would be content. But in six weeks, there's going to be a new, uh, newer new iPhone and game system. And often we buy these things for others. We're breeding in them the same contentment through stuff. It's just wrong. No, I'm not here to spoil anybody's plans on what you're going to get. It's not wrong to give things that people would enjoy. It's just we need to be cautious in what we're really seeking to buy. There have been so many Christmases that I've just gotten it wrong. For all of you, I hope you'll wait and not wait to the last minute. Sure, you can go to the AMPM for that last-minute shopping. I have a few things from the AMPM. In case you're wondering, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. These are cracklins. Boy, can't do without that at Christmas time. And then there's beef jerky. In case you have kids, you can get a Mickey Mouse Spaceman uh, 100% fruit juice. Uh, apple juice, 
probably the most healthy thing in the entire store. I went three times around AM, PM, and that was the best I could find. Don't forget that you can always get uh, somebody uh, a car deodorizer. And then, and then depending on who they are and, and what they like to drink, some like beer, some like uh, Red Bull, me, just give me a diet Snapple, peach Snapple, and I'm uh, happy as a clam. I mean, we can go and do Christmas shopping that way. Okay, I get it. But for the next few minutes, maybe let me help your giving so it can be near the heart of Christmas. What I think you need to do, if you haven't done already, is make a list of all in your family and your friends that you need to buy a gift for. Then put a, by their name a few words that describe them, what they like doesn't have to be extensive. But then seek something that matches what they like and love. I want you to think about some of the people that are around your life as a real gift to you from God. Maybe give them a small gift relating to the things they love and enjoy. Think who's been a gift to me this year and then pray about giving them a gift. You can go a step further. Look around your life at a neighbor or around a church. There are people who most likely will be forgotten this Christmas. Think about what you might be able to give them. Now, I'm not talking about an expensive gift, but a thoughtful one. Maybe they've got a bunch of kids, and McDonald's gift certificates would be the perfect thing that they could go out for a special lunch. That'd be great. Who knows how creative you could be? Maybe you could buy them a book that relates to their favorite hobby. They'd love that. Please hear me on this. Every Christmas gift we give is an opportunity to say to people, I care about you. I know you. I understand you. I celebrate your uniqueness. I celebrate you. You just don't have to spend a lot of money. Why not give dinner out to a family or Two movie tickets. Or what about a couple of hours of babysitting? Maybe give that, them a handmade coupon for two dinners at your house and an evening of games during the next year. Now for some of you who have more resources, resist the temptation to load up family and friends with expensive gifts just because you can afford to buy them. Truth be told, Your ego does not need to be stroked by lavishing extravagant gifts on children or spouses or whoever. Remember that the hungry need to be fed, that the lost need to be found, that the naked clothed and the homeless sheltered. This isn't an option for those of us who call ourselves Christians. I believe that if this Christmas is going to be different, we need to learn the secret of being content, and it's not through acquiring stuff. So maybe we're all spending just a little less and enjoying it more. Does that mean we forgo spending money on Christmas gifts? No. I'm right now reading a book by John Grissom. It's called Skipping Christmas. Some of you may know it. There's a movie out about it as well. 
where the couple uh, have one daughter and the daughter volunteers for Peace Corps in Peru. And they're gone and the dad, who's very frugal, uh, decides to skip Christmas and all of its trappings. He's an accountant and figured out that they spend around $6,000 for all the things Christmas. Lights, electricity, food, parties, gifts, tree, all that stuff. So they decide to go on Christmas Day on a Caribbean cruise. In the book, At the Last Moment, the daughter comes home with a fiancé. And the cranks have to make Christmas happen very quickly. And it's a funny look at what Christmas is all about. But let me say this. Even if we spend less this Christmas and believe the Lord is calling us to give more of ourselves to those we love, it'll make our Christmas a better thing. How many of you remember the gifts that you received from people last year? Most of us remember a few of them. But what if someone uh, you know gave you a coffee mug for Christmas? Would you remember it next year? Probably not. But what if with a coffee mug came a stipulation that this mug was only to be used on the first Saturday of each month when you and your adult child or your friend got together to have coffee? You'd remember that. Or if you gave your son and, or a grandson a baseball mitt and with it came 12 coupons to be redeemed any time you were home to play catch with them, they certainly would remember that. Maybe if we were to give like Jesus and give more of our presents this year at Christmas, we'll get it right. I hope you're hearing. I hope you're listening. And I hope you'll try to do something different this Christmas. Will you pray with me? Lord, we're thankful for you, for your love and your care and your presence, and uh, that we can learn some very important lessons if we just take time to listen to you. Help us to get Christmas right this year. Help us to be able to care for those that need to be cared for. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.